Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the first book of Kings with chapter 17, that is Malachim Aleph Perek Yud Zion. In the last chapter, we read of the awful descent of the first of the northern kingdom into complete chaos and anarchy until it finally somewhat became stabilized under the, at least politically, under the leadership of King Omri and then his son Achav, who were, um, Achav was a powerful, strong king, but Achav, we learned in the last chapter, was he continued to do evil in the eyes of God and brought Baal, the worship of the Avodah of the idol Baal, that pagan worship, and made it the worship of the land. Now, this was a step beyond which, like we said in the end of last chapter 16, that he was worse from all of the kings of Israel that that preceded him. He was the worst. And it seems that the reason for this is because until now, there was at least a assumption that the northern kingdom was continuing on some level the same religion or at least pretending to or claiming to continue that same religion (coughs) that the southern kingdom had which was the religion worshiping god and however they were doing it in a corrupt and uninformed and bad and, and 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 terrible way by having the temples with the golden calves and so on, but they were at least pretending to continue to worship God. However, Achav had made, had completely flipped the religion and made the entire people pagan. Now, in this setting, we have one of the most famous and most important prophets in the entire Tanakh, and that is the, we are introduced to the prophet Eliyahu, Elijah. Now, I would like to uh, make a several important points as a, by way of introduction to how we are going to study this and how the way I'm going to teach these upcoming chapters and the, live, the life and lessons of Eliyahu's life different from the way many people approach this and the way many of the traditional interpreters interpret this. However, I will, of course, back up my assertions and my claims and my ideas with with uh, classic commentaries and mafarshim to uh, the extent that I can. But I want to explain what I mean by how I'm going to do this differently. And those of you that have been studying this uh, Tanakh together with me from the beginning will already know and understand very well the way I have been describing the progression of the religious idea, the idea of ethical monotheism, which is the fundamental idea of Judaism and the fundamental idea that Tanakh is here to teach us, that, that every step in the way as we go through Tanakh, the, the history, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the prophets are bringing this idea forward, developing it further and further into um, until we get to the idea with which we started in this podcast, the ideas of Isaiah, and that is that God does not want ritual, God does not want sacrifice, God does not want prayer in the sense 
of, of a magical prayer where you know we control God or we and so on, but rather in a much more rationalistic sense, God can created the world to run in a certain way. And that way is that if we live good lives and live the kind of life that God wants us to live, and God told us to live in this wonderful book here called the Bible, which is treating our fellow with kindness and treating others the way we would want to be treated ourselves and treating other human beings with charity and goodness and, and peace and and the bottom line, the, the catchphrases that we have been repeated over and over again throughout Tanakh, tzedek, umishpat, justice and righteousness, that this is the key to ending the suffering in the world, and this is the key to making the world work. Not in a magical way, and this rationalistic idea was expounded at length, of course, by many of the tra traditional classical rationalists in the Jewish um, um, uh, uh, in, uh history of philosophers, especially Maimonides and Rambam, that if we treat each other in this way, if we share our crops and we share a corner of our field for the poor and we tithe uh, money to the poor and we help support the people that are there, our teachers, the, the priestly cast, classes, in order that they can teach and they can continue worshiping God and teaching us how to live properly, and we continue to treat each other with justice and kindness and fairness, that then we will, therefore, just by the very nature of how the world works, we will bring about a situation where people have what to eat, where people will be able to overcome the challenges that the world and nature send our way, and that this is the ultimate lesson of the entire Tanakh. When one understands it this way, then, which is the way I've been describing it until now, and those that have learned especially the book of Isaiah, but we've seen it come across again and again and again, this idea... One then, if you're familiar at all with the stories of Eliyahu, of Elijah the prophet, from childhood and the way it may have been taught to you then, if you're familiar, you might think that how does this work? How does a rationalist understand the life and career of a prophet, Eliyahu, um, wh whom we are about to learn about? And why do I say this? Because the prophet Eliyahu is famous for all of these miracles that he performed. He performed all of these grand, these, these incredible miracles. He made a jug of oil last forever and a, and, a, and, a pit, and, a, and a jar of flour last forever and he revived the dead and he declared, uh, you know, he controlled the weather by declaring uh, when and when and where the um, drought would start and end and so on. And that he proved the existence of God by showing that he was able to perform miracles and that the that the uh, prophets of Baal were not able to perform. How does one understand that? That seems to be saying that the way God intervenes in this world is in a magical way, in a way that a prophet is able to perform these wondrous miracles and that no one else can perform these wondrous miracles. One can understand, and of course many people at a simple reading of the chapters we're about to read together do understand the life and career of Eliyahu that way, which makes it difficult to make meaning, bring meaning from Eliyahu's life to our life today. When we don't have prophets walking around performing miracles and, 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 and making wondrous signs and so on and so forth. What does the, the message of Eliyahu, which is a message, a timeless message, say to those of us that take the approach to Tanakh 
that I have been teaching until now. And I would like to demonstrate that in this particular chapter that we're about to read, chapter 17, which has been understood by many to be a chapter full of wondrous miracles, but the rationalist approach that is very deeply embedded within Judaism has very different explanations for virtually every single story here. But few people, if any, probably someone, but not many, have said, let us look at all of these stories, let us take these rationalist approaches to all of these miracles that explain away the miracles and make them much less miraculous. How would one read this chapter and how would one understand the, the lessons of this chapter? What would be the meaning if we take the miracles away? What would be the point? And that is what I'm going to demonstrate here. That when we take away the miraculous magic of, the, of, of Eliyahu, and we peel it away and we make this chapter a chapter of complete and total, total this-worldly episodes, it becomes so powerful and so beautiful and so relevant to every single moment and every day of our lives that you'll never, ever want to read this chapter in any other way. I know that's a very bold statement. Bear with me, and you'll see if you agree with this bold statement or not. So I'm going to begin by reading, and I will mention how this is understood at its surface, but then I will mention the way I'm reading it, and you could like the way I read it, you could think I'm stretching the truth a little bit, but I believe that at least I am approaching closer towards Torah Emet, towards the Torah of truth, which is ultimately the goal of anyone and all of us that study together. So, Vayomer Eliyahu HaTishbi. Elijah the Tishbi, Eliyahu from Tish, from Tishbi, from a place... Where is this? Mitoshavei Hagilad. He was a resident of Gilad, which we know is a place on the other side of the Jordan, populated by some of the tribes um, on the other side of the Jordan. Of, uh, and um, Eliyahu was a resident there, and he was a subject of the northern kingdom. He said El Achav to the king Achav. So for starters... <laughs> This is like coming out of the blue completely. We never have been introduced to this man yet, and he just popped up. Eliyahu Atishbi said, almost every other prophet that we know of is introduced with at least some facts about his <coughs> or her life and career before then. Something, something, some biographical detail. Some, but Eliyahu just, Elijah the prophet said, right? Elijah the Tishbite said, what, what, where does that come from? And not only did he say it, but he said it in a conversation to Ahab, to the king. So apparently one gets the sense that there's some kind of conversation going on between this Eliyahu Atishbi and Ahab, <coughs> which resulted in Eliyahu making this declaration that we're about to hear at the end of the verse. In other words, it seems like they're having some sort of a conversation. And then, uh, you know, and it's, again, this Eliyahu kind of pops in out of the middle of nowhere. So what's, what's going on over here? So, of course, Chazal have an interesting understanding of this, and they discuss how this is connected to the last verse of the previous chapter, where we learned about the, how Chiel built up the city of Yericho, which led, and he lost his children because of the, he had violated the curse of Yoshua, of Joshua. <laughs> so Achav and Eliyahu both went to um, console the father Chiel and there had a debate and an argument in which Achav 
said, um, look, Yehoshua is better than Moshe because Moshe said that if you don't follow my rules and you worship idols, I will hold back the rain. And here I'm worshiping idols and God didn't hold back the rain. Everything's fine, right? And then, um, but Yoshua, the students, made this curse that if you build Yericho, your children will die. And here he built up Yericho and his children died. And to which Eliyahu was angry about the how that, that blasphemed against God um, and his prophet Moshe. So therefore, Eliyahu made a declaration, which we're about to read, that declared a, a, um, a, uh, a drought. So let's read. What was this that Elio said? I'm going to give a different version of a potential version of events in a minute. But what did Elio say? The God, the Lord of Israel, lives. The God who I stand in front of and I serve him. That there will not be during these upcoming years any rain or dew only by my command. In other words, I command that there should be a drought only by my word will this drought end. Elio is taking on himself a very brazen thing. He's making a declaration which takes a lot of guts to say this. Who, how does he know that God's going to listen? And of course this gives birth to many many ideas and so on and you're welcome to study the commentaries and see what people have said over the ages. Now I would like to read this a little different. The conversation going on between Ahav and Eliyahu Atishbi, what is this conversation? Eliyahu Atishbi, as we'll know soon, is a prophet. And as we've seen before, and as we'll see even more as we read through this, it was the practice of the time that the prophets ate at the table of the king. So Eliyahu Atishbi was one of the religious leaders who would have been eating at the table of the king who would have been supported by the king. Now, Achav, we have just learned, had brought the, um, the Baal we just read about. He brought the Baal into Israel and made the practice of worshiping Baal the religion of the land. Why would Achav have brought it? And what, how would Achav have had so much success in literally converting the entire public from religion A to religion B? Religion of worshiping God, although albeit in a very corrupted way. To, to worshiping this Baal. Well, <coughs> I would posit that actually the drought was happening already. And Eliyahu Atishbi was arguing with Achav as to how to go ahead and deal with this drought. And this might sound a little bold as I say this, but as we read through this chapter and we see how I apply this lesson through and through, you'll see how this develops and then you can decide whether or not you like my explanation or not. And that is that um, Ahab goes ahead and says, well, you know, you guys have been praying at these temples and God's not listening. But I know the, this Canaanite god, Baal, right, who we're familiar with, who is the idol, who, who is the god of rain, who's going to bring rain. And his Asherah will make sure that, that she will bring forth produce and bounty from the land. She will be fertile. That's the fertility goddess. And if we bring this Baal in, we'll be able to bring rain. To which Eliyahu Anavi said, No, I stand before God. And I'm telling you that that in these years, right, 
there is going to be no rain or dew, right? And the only way it's going to work is my way, right? The only way we're going to get through this is my way. And what's my way? We're about to see in a minute what my way is. My way, Elio says, is to follow God, right? Because it is God. It's to follow what God says, is to live according to God's precepts. We need to, for example, put together our resources, decide what we have. We have to get through these tough times. These tough times are here, and we need to work. Magical stuff, nonsense, especially but towards some, some idol of who knows what, right? It's not going to do the trick. It's not going to get us anywhere. But what will? What will is if we do it my way, the way I said it, which is to stand before God and live the way God said. So this is the debate, the way I understand the debate between Eliyahu Atishbi and Achav. And if we understand it now, now that we're introduced to this grand challenge between Eliyahu and Achav, which is going to play out in so many ways over the next several chapters, it's going to be the defining argument, the defining difference of Eliyahu's life and career was Eliyahu versus Achav. The Achav approach of of, of, of superstition, of worshiping idols in order to bring about what he perceives as good in this world, which leads, of course, to tremendous amount of arrogance, thinking that you can control the world's events, you can control it simply by worshiping this way or that way, which leads to arrogance, leads to selfishness, leads to violence, leads to, 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 to death and destruction. Or do you take Elio's path, which is a path of this is what is happening, there is a drought. The way to handle this drought is to look to God and say, God, what do you want from us? You want from us to be kind to each other. You want for us to share the resources that we have with each other. You want for us to do what we can to take the water and the resources that we do have left and use them for the proper purposes. This is what we need. So now they had this argument, and as we will see later, Achav goes ahead and throws Elio out, or at least makes it clear that Elio is not wanted, and Elio has to run. So what happens? What does Eliyahu do? So God is going to give Eliyahu instructions which shows him how one gets through a drought. The word of God to Eliyahu was as follows. Here you have Eliyahu being thrown away from the table of the king, from which he was sustaining himself and from which he was living as a prophet. And now, what is he going to do? Eliyahu must realize the humility of someone who is dependent upon others. The humility that comes when someone realizes that they can't control everything and that sometimes you need to take and you need to take a favor from others and take sustenance from the fact that other people are willing to be generous towards you. This is a powerful, powerful lesson. And when one takes that lesson to heart, one realizes how important it is to help others get through their tough times when you are in the position to help them. And this is the lesson God is about to teach Eliyahu. Lech mizeh. Go from here. Leave this place, this place where you are hanging with Achav the king. I want you to go towards the east. I want you to hide out at Nachal Kirit. Asher al which is, which is on the east side, the east bank of the Jordan River. Go that way, <coughs> direction, and go towards this Nachal Kirit, 
right? And um, <coughs> which is a place where there is some water. <coughs> and Elio is thinking, okay, I'm going to a place where there is some water. Let me live there. And it will be that you shall drink water from the nachal, from the um, spring or the wadi in this case. So you'll have water. And I have commanded the orvim to feed you there. And what are orvim? An orave is sometimes translated as a raven, as a kind of bird. Those that understand this chapter in a miraculous fashion understand this chapter as orvim, meaning birds, that the ravens brought food to Eliyahu when he was there. However, the rationalist commentaries, the radak among them, bring from others that understand that this orave is not at all a, uh, um, this is not referring to any, any um, special kind of, of miracle. R- however, rather, the orvim are the, um, are, it means merchants, right? Uh, the, the, uh, the, just as it says, as we see in many places, for example, um, Right? We see in Jeremiah, we see that, that, that the language of an orev is the orvim are those that t- take collateral for merchandise, right? Those that trade in merchandise and they'll, you know, they'll sell things on consignment so, so, and so forth. So then this would mean, I have commanded those orvim to support you there. So in other words, you're going to go out on the field. You're going to go out, I'm sorry, not on the field, in this case, by this wadi near the Jordan River somewhere, you'll have water to drink, and food you will get from the passers-by, from the merchants that pass by, they will bring you food. Because you will find that this is how people survive. They survive by helping each other. And by you being dependent, you will learn the humility that you need, that sometimes you're dependent on others, so that when it's your turn, you will be there to help others. But this time you're going to be getting money from merchants, from wealthier people, people that have some money, people that are making a living. Now this idea of at the Arvim Tziviti, I want to point out that Rambam in Moron uh, uh says in, in, part, in chapter 48 in part 2 of Moron he describes what this means and actually describes this in reference to a verse that we're going to read together soon. And that is the verse where it says, I have commanded that there should be a poor a woman, a widow, to to the same language to support you, to feed you there. Ramam says over there that it, does, it was not a, a nace, it was not a miracle of any sort. In fact, Ramam uses that as an example of showing how when anything happens in this world, it can be referred to as God's command. Because God, as the first cause, so to speak, of the entire world and of everything that happens, is the one who set the entire nature in motion in such a way that these things, that things that happen, happen. Everything that happens ultimately is a result of God creating this world and making it run the way he set it up to run. And the way God set up this world at this time, there are people that will pass by and they will come and they will help you. Ramam says it specifically regarding the verse, which is almost the same identical words, several verses from now. And the Ramam there says, and of course, with many, many examples, he only brings that as an example. And this here is another verse of the same example. 
I have designed the world in such a way that don't worry, people will come and help you. Remember, this lesson, one only learns this lesson if one understands that this was not a, a miracle of birds bringing food. If one understands that this, this lesson that Eliyahu is learning now is the lesson of humility and dependence upon others and the lesson of generosity. And that how does one get through a terrible, terrible time of drought and hunger? Through generosity, through working together. That's how it's done. And Eliyahu went ahead and he did exactly as God has commanded. And <laughs> And he went to Nachal Krit Arvim, and these merchants came Mivim Lo Lechem Ubasar Baboker. They brought him bread and meat in the morning, Belechem Ubasar Baerev, and they brought him bread and meat in the evening. Umina Nachal Yishta, and he was able to drink water from the Nachal. Vayimi Ketz Yamim, and it was after several days, Vayiva Shanochal, and the wadi, the flowing stream, st- dried up. Kilohaya Geshem Baaretz, because there was no rain to fill this Nachal with water. Now, Eliyahu now is going to go to the next step. Before, he was relying on people that had the means, had the means to bring bread and meat. People that were merchants, people that were somewhat on the wealthier end of things. But soon, Eliyahu is going to have to learn a deeper lesson, a lesson that is much, that is even harder and more difficult. And that is a lesson that sometimes even the poorest of the poor or have to share what the little meager bits that they have, and that sometimes one has to be dependent, not just on the wealthy, but sometimes people have to be dependent upon the simplest and lowest people in the, on the social rungs of society. Sometimes you need to be dependent on them because every person has a place in the hierarchy. Every person has a place when it comes to getting through tough times. The poorest of the poor, sometimes you need them too. You have to look at every single person that you see around you. Every person has has something to offer and something to help society get through tough times. And that's the lesson that Eliyahu is about to learn. I'm going to stop here. This will be 17a and we will finish this chapter in the next podcast, uh, with God's help, in 17b, as we learn this continued um, uh, s- saga of Eliyahu and, um, and, and how he learns the important lessons that he is then going to bring back and teach the Jewish people and teach the world, indeed, how one is supposed to handle tough times and how one is supposed to deal with it, not by bringing idols and turning away from God and worshiping and bowing to Baal and doing ridiculous uh, uh, rituals and nonsense, but by working together and living the way God told us to live and living by the precepts of his Torah, in, in, in completely non-miraculous in the sense that there's no fire and brimstone falling from heaven, but miraculous much more in the sense that when people work together, they're accomplished and capable of doing anything when we live the way God commanded us to live. Thank you so much for studying this together. Looking forward to studying the rest of this chapter together very soon.